You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today is going to be another day. We're going to keep on keeping on with what we've been doing, um, but we're switching over to the defense. Now that you know every single possible thing that ever could be known about the Green Bay Packers offense, congratulations, you're a freaking genius. Um, One of the things that I've kind of been doing, because this doesn't usually take a full episode, is you know, doing a little news and notes or whatever. One of the things that's been happening, though, is I've been kind of accumulating these things for after we're done with this project. I think maybe I'll start slowly unraveling it rather than just doing like one big, here's everything that I've collected. Um, And it's more just of an an observation, I think. So Rich Eisen just did a video. Um, When did he publish this? This was two days ago via my time period. Rich Eisen's top five overlooked make-or-break NFL players in the 2023 season. As you can imagine, Jordan Love is on the list. Here's what I find interesting, though. I just want to play the beginning of some of these players that he talks about. All right, so, and and again, this what, what this all pertains to is me not being able to fully understand why people phrase things the way that they phrase things, right? Here's number five on his list. Uh, the, the trees in the forest. Okay. Overall. Number five on this list is the quarterback of the Washington Commanders. Who is that? Sam Howell. Oh, is it? Is it? Oh. <laughs> Let me. Th- exactly. Exactly. What if this kid. Remember, we had his college coach, Mac Brown. He's like, the reason why he's dropping in the draft is we weren't. We, admittedly, we stunk around. We though. were not very yeah. good this year. Yeah. And look at the weapons this guy has. Brian Robinson and Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson. Nobody's talking. This kid balls out, makes the Washington Commanders. They, they might even turn him back into the football team. They might even change the damn team name, which you have. All right, so Sam Howell, why aren't we talking about this kid, right? What if, right? What if in this weird universe, Sam Howell actually is good? I mean, there's some guys there. That are talented. He might be overhyping them slightly, but you know, maybe Jahan Dotson becomes a thing at some point, and some of those guys are kind of decent. But what if, man? That'd be crazy. Then they might actually be kind of a good football team. All right, let's skip to his number three now. McCoy. Colt is McCoy. Is a make or break player this year. Colt McCoy, pal, Colt McCoy it is your time. Is back. What if this guy turns into like Rich Friggin' Dude, Gannon? What if? Right? What uh, if this guy. And I, you, gosh. Hey, you got Marquise Brown. Right, hold on. You got. James Conner. There is still some players. There's Zach Ertz. Wow. Who? Who? Are you, who, who? Zach, Zach Ertz hasn't been relevant in like three years. Who are the other guys you said? I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So Colt McCoy. What if? Dude. What if Colt McCoy freaking balls out? Like nobody's talking about it, but maybe. And then they're going to be really good. All right. Here's the number two guy. Just starting him in kind of random spots. But in, in case you don't hear it. Matt Stafford is number two. Look at house it really is in Los Angeles. <laughs> Rams house. Correct. Rams Matthew Stafford. Oh, Everybody wow. thinks he's shot, right? He's shot. And the Rams are shot. Whoa. He's shot and the Rams are shot. What if he shows up Dude, what wow. if Matthew friggin' Stafford? Like, long shot, right? But what, like, 
in in this super crazy world freaking what if bro make or break and the rams make wow. the playoffs and the rams aren't in a rebuilding mode Pay how about me and his money. Yeah, Sean McVay's got a bun in the oven in real <laughs> life. Does. I saw that. He Congratulations, hey. Sean. And these Rams can be made or broken by that guy. Right. Terrible football team completely falling apart. But what if, bro? Like, I know it seems crazy. But, like, for reals, bro, what if? Here's number one. Love. Jordan yeah, Love. Buddy. <laughs> yeah. Everybody uh-huh. thinks the Packers are finished. Uh-huh. Could he be just like Rodgers waiting behind Favre, coming fresh out of the box and starting off fresh and kicking ass and taking names and being the happy Father's Day to the Bears fans that he said he really wasn't trying to be facetious about? Here we go. Jordan Love is the number one most overlooked make or break player in the NFL this year because the Packers can actually do something if this kid falls out. We're looking at Rodgers. We're focused on Rodgers. Understandably so. But what about back at the ranch? Jordan Love caps off my most overlooked make or break player top five list in the NFL this year. All right. So first of all, correct. He is massively overlooked. Everybody's only looking at Rodgers left, therefore doomed. Nobody's looking at Love. That's a fair point. Here's where I get annoyed with all this, and I think everybody's kind of doing this. The mentality, first of all, the, the way he phrased what if he is like the next Rodgers? St- why, why does he have to be the next Rodgers? Does Colt McCoy have to be MVP Aaron Rodgers? Is that what you're talking about? I don't think it is. Why does Love have to be a top three quarterback in the NFL or he's a complete bust and this is a waste of everybody's time. I don't understand why we have to go there, especially in his first ever season as a starting quarterback of a football team. The phrasing of that was stupid. But here's the bigger issue. Why is Jordan Love being put in the same camp as all these other guys? To be clear, let's go in reverse. Here is who he's being compared to. Over the hill, Matthew Stafford, who's 35 years old, who has been contemplating retirement because his body is completely broken down and had one of his worst years of his entire career this past year in 2022 on a team that has almost no hope whatsoever right they, they are they, they have gone massively all in they got themselves a super bowl congratulations they shouldn't have because they really weren't even that good when they went all in probably one of the worst if not the worst playoff teams but whatever they got hot at the right time they got a freaking whatever it's stupid so it's a yeah it's really unlikely but what if man what if colt freaking mccoy is i believe actually older than matthew stafford he's almost 37 years old he's only playing because the starting quarterback who's really not that good to begin with is injured colt mccoy has had one decent year he played about a third or a quarter of a year in his rookie season at a 75 grade, that's the only time ever. His grade since then, that was in 2010, by the way. We're talking last time the Packers won the freaking Super Bowl. Here's his season grades every year after that, which he's played for, let's see, one, two, three, four, five different teams. We'll, we'll just do, we'll just round to the tens. 50, 30, 50, 60, 40, 60, 40, 60, 50, 60. But like, what if, bro? Like, what if for the first time ever, at 37 years old, like, he doesn't completely suck? Like, like for reals bro and then i think the best example is sam howell 
I get it with Sam Howell. It kind of makes sense. We haven't seen a ton of Sam Howell. We saw him play one game. It wasn't terrible. 168 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Almost a 70 grade, I guess. Although most of that was his rushing ability. Sam Howell was a freaking fifth round pick. Why is Jordan Love being treated like he's a fifth round pick? Everybody's looking at him and it's like, I mean, I guess it's not impossible that he's good, but let's be freaking honest. He's not going to be good. Why are we doing this? The guy was a first round pick in one of the best quarterback classes we've seen. I don't even know how long it's been since there was a time when a better quarterback class came out than the one Jordan Love was in. And he was compared to Herbert. And the Packers traded up for him. The only real knock being he's incredibly gifted, but he's going to need some time and refinement. And he sat behind Aaron freaking Rodgers with Matt LaFleur, a quarterback guru, as his head coach, with multiple very good quarterback coaches as his quarterback coach. And he has made visible strides. We all saw it with our own freaking eyes. And we're still treating him like he's a fifth-round pick. I don't know the guy's going to be good, but I don't understand why of all people on God's green earth. If I had to put money on any new quarterback coming in, if you're not picking Jordan Love, I think you might be a freaking idiot. I mean, would you really take Bryce Young over over Jordan Love? I wouldn't. Why? Well, terrible quarterback class, lots of red flags, terrible football team, spent five seconds in the NFL compared to Jordan Love in a significantly better quarterback class with three years behind Aaron Rodgers. Actual NFL experience. Preseason, regular season, the whole nine yards. I would kind of think Jordan Love has a leg up on Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. I would say probably maybe a little bit. Again, it, it, this isn't me projecting anything. It's simply looking at it from a statistical standpoint. Taking whatever little tidbits of information we have and saying, what can we do with this? I don't for the life of me understand why He is the only person that I can think of that is a first-round pick that does not get treated like a first-round pick. Maybe this year, because it's a really... Last year was pretty trash classic. Who was even picked in the first round? I don't even know. Uh, Pick pick it was. Maybe somebody like Anthony Richardson. I don't know. I haven't really heard what people are saying. But I would be willing to bet not one of the quarterbacks this year is even treated like Jordan Love. Because the the consensus with Jordan Love is, come on, seriously, you actually think he's going to be a good quarterback? And, and I know part of it, because I've, I've heard some people say this, it's because we had two in the past, which if that's the reason you're saying that, please stop and don't ever say that out loud because it's the dumbest possible thing ever. Had somebody say that to me on Twitter. They're like, you actually think you're going to get three in a row? I was like, statistically, what, what, what difference does it make? He says, well, I know for a fact, statistically, three in a row is nearly impossible. And I said, no, dumb, dumb. Probably spelled that out exactly like that. The odds of us getting three in a row when we've already had two are the same exact odds as anybody else getting one. We did the hard part. We got two out of the first three. Now our odds are 100% exactly the same. There is no cosmic force in the universe that makes it harder for us to find a third simply because we've had two. That doesn't exist. So anyways, I saw that, and that was just my immediate thought. He, he's getting lumped in with the... I mean, it, that's the entire point of this, is, is these are the guys that are being overlooked because they're not... The guys like Rodgers and everybody else where everybody knows like this is a big deal, which is why they're not being overlooked. Like they, it's, it's a major th- thing, but everybody already knows it. In fact, many people expect it to be a good outcome. 
Love is being overlooked specifically because nobody expects him to be able to do anything. And, and again, I, for the life of me, don't get it. Most of these guys get hyped to the hilt. Rookie this and that, and man, the rookie receivers, rookie quarterbacks, they, they can't, the media cannot stop gushing over these guys. And I know Jordan Love doesn't run a 4-3, and I'm sure if he did, the, the media obsession would be at least a little bit hotter. Because apparently media guys only know what their fantasy football team tells them. Anyway, should we get started? Let's get started. Let's just start with the interior, work our way around like we usually do. Start off with the big man, Kenny Clark. Definitely worthwhile looking at because I think, although we talk about it a good amount on the podcast, maybe not totally in depth, but there's a lot of talk about Kenny is one of the premier defensive tackles in football. The problem is his stats and grades do not tell that story at all. Let me just read to you his grades since 2016. His rookie year, 75. Now that's fantastic for a rookie. Then year two, it's an 87. That's pretty dynamite. Now granted, it was mostly run defense. It was an 88 run defense grade and about a 70 pass rush grade. He actually had 31 pressures on 344 attempts, which is less than 10%, which really isn't that good. It's pretty bad as a pass rusher. And in fact, his rookie year was 15 pressures on 219 attempts, which is also bad. But he still graded out pretty well, again, mostly as a run defender. 2018 was his best year. That's when he peaked. He had a 90 overall grade, an 88.6 run defense grade, and an 88.8 pass rush grade. With that, he had 46 pressures on 408 attempts. If you're really good at math, you know that that's barely over 11%. Now, his pass rush grade is great, but the statistics are really not that good. He only had six sacks and 11% pressure rate. If, if you're new here, the way that I generally view uh, at least PFF's pressure rate, SAS is different, they have different numbers, so it's a different scale, but generally I see 10% as the baseline. If you're below 10%, you're not good. 11% is is like, it's it's fine, it's solid. Like 12% is, is good. There's nothing wrong with it. It's far from elite. We're not talking 14, 15%. And, you know, like, elite from, like, Rashawn and Zadarius. I know they're edge guys, but the numbers relatively are, are relatively similar. Like, the, the absolute top pass rushers, you're talking 17 18%. So 11% is just baseline, eh, that's fine. That was his best year. And as far as his overall PFF grades go, he has gone down every single year since 2018. 2019, he had a 79 overall grade, a 67 grade. However, it was probably his best pass rush grade. He had an 87.2 grade, which is the second highest grade. However, 69 pressures, 9 sacks, 580 attempts. Now, it's it's still not even 12%, but it's close. It's 11.9%. And, and again, and 9 sacks, which matters. So from a pass rush standpoint, 2019 was his best, but it was a significant drop-off overall from a 90 down to a 79. Then in 2020, he went down to a 76. It was a um, 74 run defense grade and a 70 PFF grade. He had five sacks and 32 pressures on 424 attempts. That is 7.5%. Now listen, I understand that Kenny Clark has played a lot of nose tackle, which is unfortunate. So a lot of what he does, it's, it's not the easiest job in the world to be a pass rusher, right? There's a lot of times you're going up against two guys or whatever. And we can look at some of the other metrics as far as eliminating double teams and all that. But just so we're clear, that's not good. And even his run defense grade is a 74. But wait, it gets worse. Now we enter the Joe Barry era. So to be clear, we had Dom Capers, who was here until 2017. And we also had Mike Daniels, which I think helped him a little bit. 
I don't remember exactly when he left. It was 17 or 18. It was around the same time period. Then we had Mike Pettin, 2018, 2019, and 2020. And he went down every single year. So 2018, you have basically the same version of Kenny. Actually, I think we had a better pass rush version of him for at least the first two years, and then he fell off, whatever. Then you get Joe Barry. Now, the pass rush isn't necessarily terrible, but the run defense plummets. So let me just run through run defense real quick. So at his peak... 88, 88. Then you get sort of the the Dom, the uh, after Dom, Mike Pettin. It's it's 67 and then 74. Then with Joe Barry, it drops to a 56 and a 53. I don't think it's a coincidence. It's entirely possible that this has nothing to do with the defensive coordinator, but I think that's bullcrap. And I think that's also part of the problem with us constantly rotating out defensive coordinators. And I understand the fans and everybody else saying we got to get somebody else in here. But when you build a team based on an identity of a defensive coordinator, and then you go get somebody who does something else, suddenly your superstars, like Kenny Clark, are not superstars anymore. Now, 2021, again, his pressure rate was fine. He only had four sacks, which completely sucks. In fact, in fact, it's his worst ever since his rookie year. But 68 pressures on 547 attempts. It's actually his highest at 12.4%. And then 2022 was his absolute lowest. Again, 53 run defense grade, which is awful. 76 pass rush grade, which is fine, but five sacks and just 45 pressures on, fi- on 459 attempts, so just barely below 10%. Beyond that, he's never had a good tackling grade outside of 2017, ever. And starting in 2019, his tackling grades have been 48, 46, 36, and 47. So his run defense and his tackling have really been kind of bad since 2019. And statistically, his pass rush has really only ever been good, maybe twice in his in his career and he's been here for seven years he has a career pressure rate of 10.3 percent now just to be clear he was he was supposed to be the same guy as like chris jones right they came in i think the same year and then they both like blew up in 2017 2018 but then chris jones continued to dominate for the kansas city chiefs and kenny clark fell off here's chris jones he went from a 70 to an 89 90 90 90 83, 92. His pass rush grade, 76, 83, 91, 90, 92, 86, 92. These two guys are uh, nowhere near the same plane. Kenny Clark has never had double-digit sacks. His highest was nine sacks. Jones has had nine or more sacks four times. He had nine in 2019, 10 in 2021, 16 in 2018, and 17 in 2022. Kenny Clark has 34 total pressures. Chris Jones has legitimately done that in two years. The same total number of of sacks, I think minus one. The point is, if you look at the top defensive tackles, they just are much more consistent. The statistics are better. Not going to bother bringing up Aaron Donald because he's a unicorn. But, I mean, Cam Hayward, right? And, And Cam Hayward was a late bloomer. But over the last, I don't know, six, seven years... His grades, 89, 84, 91, 89, 90, 89. Or it's technically a 90. I mean, and, and his sacks have been 14, 11, 10, 5, 11, 12. Kenny Clark doesn't belong in the same conversation as the top defensive tackles. And we can talk about, well, it's how they use him, it's this, it's that, whatever. The value he provides this football team is not the same value as what other people provide. And if, if they're neglecting his pass rush ability so that he can help us in the run game, that is a complete freaking joke, and it would have happened spanning across three different defensive coordinators, essentially, which makes me skeptical that that's a thing. Plus, if they're passing the ball, it's not run defense, right? They're either running or they're passing. If they're passing, it's a pass rush play. It's not like, oh, we, we have them doing run defense on this play. That's not a thing. Every single time, 
The quarterback passes, you try to go get him. That's the point. But anyways, considering how garbage our run defense has been, how about screw it, just have him go get the quarterback? And again, I'm skeptical that that's the case anyways. But, I mean, man. Bottom line is, it's just disappointing, and it's been getting worse. Um, he has not had a game even in the 80s since 2018, as far as his overall grade. Barely cracks 10%, um, and his sacks are, are about five a year. It's actually 4.8 per year. And here is where things get maybe even a little bit more depressing. So generally speaking, every single person is going to get better when you look at what PFF calls true pass sets compared to you know just regular pressures. So true pass sets would be stripping out, for example, double teams, or when a quarterback uh, is it's it's a, a designed rollout. You know we're not going to dock you for that stuff like that. Where we're basically looking at when it's mano y mano, you versus a guy. How'd you do? So everybody is going to get better for the most part, unless there's some weird fluke. So the question really becomes, how much better are you in comparison to everybody else? If the excuse is Kenny Clark is struggling because he's dealing with double teams, more so than some of these other guys, like Chris Jones, Aaron Donald, Dexter Lawrence, Cam Hayward, Quinnen Williams, DeForest Buckner, whatever. He's dealing with it more than they are. And if he had some help and could get more one-on-ones, then he would jump up the list. So what we would see is he's, you know, for example, not super great, but he gets even better when you get into the true pass sets. Kenny Clark's pass rush grade this past year ranked 15th. His grade, looking at true pass sets, was 17th. If you look at his win percentage, how often did he just beat the guy in front of him, it was 24th is where he ranked. His win percentage when looking at true pass sets, 41st. Again, it went up. It went from 11% to 13.4%. The point is, though, everybody else benefits a lot more. So the reality is, he's actually probably being double teamed less than most people. Because he's not being dinged as much as a lot of other guys are being dinged, especially in win percentage, but also in, for example, pass rush grades. Another way to put this is, if we're able to find ways to isolate Kenny Clark, there isn't much reason to believe that he's going to be that much better. Again, he was at 13% win rate. First of all, that's not good because your win rate is always going to be higher than your pressure rate because a win doesn't always translate into a pressure. You can beat the guy and not quite get to the quarterback. So if your win rate is 13%, your pressure rate is what, maybe 12? Maybe? And that's, that is 100% never double teamed, nothing crazy. Every single snap is just you against a guy and getting after it. So for example, Dexter Lawrence was number one. He was at 26%. It was double. Nine different players were above 20%. And the bottom line is, Kenny Clark is being paid like a top 10 guy. If you're getting paid like a top 10 guy, as a fan, I expect you to produce like a top 10 or top 5 player. That's the expectation, right? Everybody gets all pissy about, well, everybody blames Rodgers for everything. Look how much money he was getting paid. That's how much higher the expectations are. When you get paid that much, you're expected to do that much. And so I, I, I'm holding out hope that we can see Kenny return to his former glory. But former glory is, I mean, what, what was his absolute best year? What was it? By the way, Devontae Wyatt graded out higher than Kenny Clark did last year. Just throwing that out there. But um, like it, it, his, his, it had to be, I guess... Well, from a pass rush standpoint, 2019, 
most pressures, most sacks, one of his highest pressure rates, 69 pressures, nine sacks. But it was one of, it was, aside from these last two years under freaking Joe Barry, it was his lowest run defense grade. Otherwise, you can play it kind of safe, go with 2018, highest overall grade, but we're talking six sacks. I, I feel like the beginning of this past season, we saw Kenny Clark at his best, and I was so excited, and I was hyping him up, and I'm like, finally, we're getting the Kenny that we always wanted and dreamed of and loved and adored. I think he was the number one defensive tackle for like the first three, four weeks or something. I don't know. It's a very short period of time. And then it all just fell apart. And he ended, overall, the number 46 defensive tackle tied with Matt Ioannidis, one spot ahead of Roy Robertson Harris. How's that? So, I, I, you know, I don't know that we have any good defensive tackles, but we also might have several. I'm hopeful that we might have several. But Kenny really has got to freaking step it up. He, he has all the talent, all the ability to be that guy. I don't know why we're not seeing it. I just don't. Anyways, why don't we take a break here? We'll have to rip through these a little bit quicker. I guess I just need to get that off my chest about Kenny. But uh, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy, or you can hit me up on Venmo at Packernet Podcast if you want to support the podcast. Please, please, please check out my pinned tweet or the uh, post pinned to the top of the Packernet Podcast Facebook group because that's where we are. Um, the, the link to the GoFundMe is being held, I guess. But we have uh, hit 70 donations, $5,900 raised. So just uh, 95 more dollars to get to 6000 be a really good marker to get there. But again, fellow Packer fan, uh, family desperately in need, horrific tragedy. Two young girls, uh, their mother was found murdered, and then their mother's father, their grandfather, passed away that night in his sleep. So obviously there's a lot of, on top of all the massive amounts of trauma that the family is going through, there's a lot of expenses involved with um, not just burials and whatnot, but obviously there's children now to take care of and everything else. So anything you can do to help would be greatly appreciated. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, speed round. Here we go. Next up, let's look at TJ Slayton. So TJ Slayton came in, a lot of hype around him. It was one of those kind of weird things um, where I tend to tell people, you know, let's let's go ahead and pump the brakes a little bit because, you know, why? <laughs> but he's a 6'5", 340-pound, fifth-round pick in 2021. The hype really was, I mean, he's a big dude. He's going to be a massive elite run defender because of his weight, which not exactly how that works, but, you know, it gets you excited. But also, some people saw some clips of the guy looking kind of fast and getting to the quarterback, and so they said he could actually be a really good pass rusher. Highlights are a hell of a drug. Anyways, my whole thing is, if we could just get him to be a really good run defender, I'm happy. He's not going to be a good pass rusher. It's not a thing. There's a slight chance that I could be wrong, but the odds are low enough that I'm willing to just be called a liar if that's the case. Liar, idiot, whatever you feel like is fine. It's not going to happen, so I'm not worried about it. So 2021 rolls around, and... Um, little bit of egg on my face. He was a better pass rusher than run defender. However, not because he was a good pass rusher. He had a 63 pass rush grade, six pressures on 144 attempts. That is 4%. That sucks. He did get two sacks, which got people all tingly inside, but again, really bad. Um, his snaps did really only start to increase around week nine in 2021, which I guess is good because most of his really, really low grades were weeks two, four, five, and seven. Then he gets a bunch of, you know, that, that's when he really bumps up his snap counts. In week nine, it goes from six to 45, just to give you an idea. He, he never played 45 again, but I'm just saying. And then his grades were 60, 70, 50, 50, 80, 60, 50, 70, 35 is his one really bad game, and then a 57 against San Francisco in the playoffs. So, I mean, it was significantly better when he started getting more opportunities. All right, fine, cool, great. 2022 rolls around. Immediately starts getting more snaps. He's got double digits every single week with the exception of week 13 for some weird reason. But anywhere between 14 and, you know, call it 15 and 25 generally. And his grade did go up. He took a little bit of a step in 2022. He went from a 52 overall to a 61, which is a significant jump from, I mean, it's like 10 points. His run defense went from a 44 to a 62. That's like 20 points, we'll call it. Tackling plummeted off the freaking planet. But really, it just it had to do with a couple misses. It's not a big deal. It's, he had four missed tackles that came in two games, none of them after week five. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to the, the promise of TJ Slayton in a minute. His pass rush grade went down from a 63 to a 58, nah, 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 although his pressure rate did go up, zero sacks, but um, five pressures, 134 attempts, still freaking horrific. Actually, you know what? That is worse. <laughs> I thought it was better. It's worse. That's 3.7% and zero sacks. This is like the the worst, absolute worst pass rusher you're going to find. Just freaking, don't, don't even try to find something worse than 3%. It's going to be a really long, drawn-out process. I'm sure you'll succeed, but it's going to be a waste of your time. It's going to take way too long to find somebody that is a defensive tackle with a pressure rate that is less than 3.7%. It's going to take you a long time. So in his career, 600 snaps, he has 11 pressures, two sacks, and that's out of 278 pass rush attempts. He has a career pressure rate of 3.95%. I'm not giving him four. It's 3.95, just to emphasize how freaking terrible of a pass rusher he is. However, I'm holding out hope for this young man. Not as a pass rusher, because I freaking told you, 
but as a run defender. Now, again, fifth round pick, I don't have Aaron Donald aspirations for him, but can he be a good enough, maybe kind of Dean Lowry-esque guy? I know it's a different kind of position, but semi-reliable in, in the one thing that we ask you to do? Perhaps. And the biggest reason is, he really turned it on starting around week seven. No, this isn't the same thing as 2021. That was the snap count. His grades, weeks one through six, were 50, 30, 60, 40, 60, 30. 61.5 was his best game week three against Tampa. After that, it was 70, 70, 50, 60, 60, 70, 70, 35 against LA, trash. But he didn't play much in that game. Maybe he got hurt. I don't know. Then 60, 80, 60. So it was, it was mostly quite good. And the run defense was really on point. And so just to kind of illustrate this, TJ Slayton was ranked 67th as a uh, defensive tackle in the NFL. His run defense grade ranked 49th, and as a pass rusher, 87th. However, if we look at week 7 on, when, when something clicked in his brain, he was actually ranked 22nd. Number one defensive tackle in Green Bay, just barely ahead of Wyatt, we'll get there. Freaking fifth round pick, 340 pound nose tackle, ranked 22nd overall with a 72.3 grade. As a run defender, he ranked 16th with a 70.4 overall grade, one spot ahead of Calais Campbell. So my hope, well, let's, let's, let's go through the rest, I guess. Tackling eighth. I mentioned really bad tackling grade, all that stuff. It was entirely because of earlier on, whatever. From week seven on, eighth best tackling grade in the entire NFL at defensive tackle between Chauncey Golson and Chris Wormley. And then pass rush, you know, 56th, but hey, it's still a little better. But but here's here's the thing. I don't know, you know, if he's going to be able to maintain that or whatever. This is all I've ever wanted for TJ Slayton. If you can be a top 20 run defender, you, you're, you're it for me. I'm, I am content. I'm not going to ask anything else from you. A fifth-round defensive tackle as a top 20 run defender, borderline top 15, I'm, I am beyond content with that. And that's what he was from week seven on. So I, um, I don't think anybody really has massive hype anymore. That was kind of when he first got brought on. Maybe some people are still holding on. I don't know. But I'm, I am ready to kind of stoke up the hype, hype train once again for TJ Slayton, but only if we understand, like, w- what are the parameters here? I'm not sitting here talking about elite pass rush, this, that, or the other. I am specifically saying a, not even high quality, a good quality starting defensive tackle in, in the area of run defense. That's all I need him to be. Now, unfortunately, if he is one of the top three guys, he's going to be on the field a lot. There does need to be some pass rush ability, and he doesn't have much, which is to say, I like him but we're going to have to find somebody to take his job. He needs to be a rotational, you know, strictly on on rush running downs, et cetera, et cetera. You can't have somebody that bad as like your number two defensive tackle as a pass rusher or even number three. But if he can go back to being like the number four, but is brought in pretty regularly, again, especially in, you know, short yardage, goal line, whatever, I think he could be a, a, a quality piece. And I, and I think it's, it's a very... Um, high quality pick for considering he's pick 174 if he can be that consistently all right let's move on to Devonte wyatt just as a refresher Devonte wyatt was drafted in 2022 in the first round pick 28 out of georgia one of the biggest athletic freaks to ever come out of the draft um 
absolute freaking stud human being, four-year player, two or three-and-a-half-year starter at Georgia. His grades overall, 76, 77, 73, 90.3, big breakout year in year four. Rushing uh, run defense grades, 79, 75, 72, 84. Pass rush, 65, 74, 67, and then 84. So Packers being obsessed with his uh, high-end athleticism and just being an absolute freak, decided they couldn't pass him up, and so they drafted him in the first round. A 2022 preseason looks kind of ugly. His first time we see him kind of do anything, he's up against New Orleans, 26 opportunities. He ends up with a 30 PFF grade, 30 run defense grade, and a 49 pass rush grade. No pressures, no sacks, no nothing. We see him again against Kansas City. Still not very good. 27 attempts, 56 grade. Run defense goes up to a 50, which is still bad. And a 65 pass rush grade. Still, though, zero pressures. He ends the preseason with a 37 PFF grade, 32 run defense grade, 56 pressures, uh, 56 pressure grade, zero sacks, hits, or hurries. Nothing. Just two tackles and, I mean, just absolutely nothing. So it's a little bit scary, right? But, hey, you know, defensive tackles, they take a little bit of time, is what it is. Week one against Minnesota, 54 grade. Crap. <laughs> against Chicago, 43. And they dropped him down from 12 opportunities down to four. So now it's, it's borderline panic time. They're stripping him of all of his opportunities. He's had two bad games in a row. All of the preseason was bad. Then week three against Tampa Bay, he only gets seven opportunities, but ends up with an 86 grade, an 85 uh, PFF grade, with one pressure on his five attempts. And I remember watching the film back on that. I think there were like two different times where he like he man threw an offensive lineman on his face or on the back of his head or whatever. And it, again, it was a little bit slow moving. Only five attempts, 49 grade, seven snaps, 61 grade. Then in week seven is when they started giving him more opportunities, and he started getting better, just magically. Probably because when you're a defensive tackle, and let's say one of your, you know, a, a, an impressive play comes once every seven times, if you only play five times, it's probably not going to be very good. More opportunities, more opportunities for good things to happen, probably going to get higher grades. Anyways, week seven, they up it to 12 snaps, he gets a 75 grade, 10, 70. 10, 60, 14, 54, continues on, has one game in the 30s against Philadelphia, but ends really strong starting in week 13, 87, 77, 50, 60, and then 90 was how he ended in Detroit. Overall, 70 PFF grade, which is fine for a rookie, 61 run defense, 71 pass rush, 61 tackling grade, only eight pressures on 111 attempts, which is not good, but again, the pressure's indicate to me that he was i mean the, the the grade indicates to me that he was doing a fairly good job just wasn't quite getting the production again on that when you're dealing with smaller numbers sometimes it's a little harder to judge why are you badooping at me but similarly he did kind of pick it up down the stretch now it's not as cut and dried but in the last five games three of them were good in in fact they were very good 77 was you know it was 77 87 and 90 the problem is there's a 49 and a 58 mixed in. So it's it's still, you know, it's like it's like I've talked about before. You, you kind of get the light switch flick or the, the light flickering. You're still getting a lot of inconsistency. And with Devontae Wyatt, he is a very, very high-powered light bulb. 
And it's not like dimming. It's either off or all the way on and freaking you're blind for life. So you get like elite and then holy crap, this guy sucks. And then, wow, he was the best player on your entire team week 18 uh, against Detroit. So it's, it's a good thing. But it's also, unless we get a little bit more consistency, he's going to always be kind of a liability. And depending how good the good is and how frequently it comes along, maybe it's something we just live with and are okay with. Because it's like, he could end up being one of those guys where I kind of give a breakdown. Like, you know, he's kind of struggling. So you're a freaking idiot. Now all the fan base just loses their mind because all they remember is this guy's getting sacks and he's throwing people around and it's Highlight City. And In which case, I'll probably just shut my mouth and be like, yeah, dude, he's freaking awesome. Every snap, just killing it. It's not worth fighting about. But just very quickly to kind of summarize, I guess, again, very small sample size, probably not worth mentioning. But if you look at week 13 to the end of the season, um, Devontae Wyatt was the 15th, uh, no, well, it's sorting by pass rush. So the 15th highest graded pass rusher, which is great, 13th highest grade overall. So overall, it was 77 with a 70 pass rush grade, a 74 tackling grade, a 72 pass rush grade. And he had, um, oh, I was looking at somebody else. I was like, oh, his pressure numbers are actually good. No, they're not. (laughs) Six pressures, 82 attempts, but two sacks. So there you go. So again, small sample size, plus there were some really bad games mixed in, but encouraging end of the season, last five or so weeks, he was a top 15, top 20 pass rusher, defensive tackle, whatever. So obviously there's a big difference between Devontae Wyatt and TJ Slayton. Both of them, I have... Uh, that there is the possibility that they can be entirely useful and be tops, at least in some kind of category. But again, Slayton potentially, I would even go so far as saying potentially top 10 run defender, because that's, you know, if you really look at it, there's not that many. And most of the premier guys that we know, they're pass rushers. So if I told you uh, Taquan Graham was the number four run defending uh, defensive tackle and his run defense grade was in the 70s. Oh, and he was a fifth-round pick. You know what I mean? It's, it's it's not impossible. But we're just talking run defense. Wyatt is that other dude. He's got that legit ceiling upside whatever. Doesn't mean he's going to reach it, but he's got it. So very excited to see where he's at. Hopefully some growth. I think there was some chatter a little bit about you know, him maybe just not picking up on things quickly or as quickly as the team had hoped. And maybe that had something to do. I don't mean to, to make things up, but I believe it had something... It was at least alluded to that maybe he wasn't quite putting in the effort that the Packers are hoping that he would. So, hoping another year in the system, good, solid offseason. He'll be much more adept at understanding what's all going on there, and we'll see a a much improved Devontae Wyatt. Alrighty. In the words of what's-his-name, let's keep removing. Why don't we go with uh, Jonathan Ford next? So Ford was a seventh round pick last year. Another big dude, six foot five, three thirty eight, out of Miami. I, again, you know how I feel about this situation. You know how I feel about seventh round picks. You understand how I feel about three hundred thirty eight pound dudes. This guy's maybe going to be able to kind of contribute as a run defender, or he's not going to be able to contribute at all. That's my thought on things. Could be wrong. I guess we'll just wait and see. Uh, we didn't see him in the regular season at all, but we did see him in the preseason. Obviously played mostly uh, nose tackle, played in all three preseason games. Statistically, we got two pressures out of him, which I'll be honest, is actually quite fantastic, all things considered. Uh, That was out of 40 pressures or uh, attempts, so just 5%, but I'm still going to call that fantastic anyways. Uh, Overall, though, however, 29.8 
PFF grade followed by 26, followed by 58. He ended the preseason with a 28 overall grade, 27 run defense, which again, is the one thing I'm asking you to do. I know it takes time, whatever, I'm just saying. 44 tackling grade, 58 pass rush grade. It wasn't looking super stellar or fantastic, but uh, all things considered, I guess I'm glad he's there. Just, you know, because, see how she goes. I just want bodies there, you know? Hopefully something rises to the top. Don't really have much more to say about Ford. Could go back into his college stuff, but I just, I don't, we're already running long, and he's a seventh round pick, and I'm just not going to do it. Speaking of, that brings us to Chris Slayton. Our second Slayton defensive tackle, this one with a Y, was a uh, also a seventh round pick in 2019, got picked up by the New York Giants, uh, got put on their practice squad. He was actually activated that year, but it doesn't look like he actually played any regular season snaps. Anyways, the next year in the offseason, he got waived. Buffalo picked him up, put him on the practice squad. Then later Atlanta got him. He moves back and forth in Atlanta for a long time. Gets moved up, down, up, down, up, down. Then during the season in 2021, Pittsburgh picks him up off their practice squad, puts him on their own, followed by San Francisco plucking him off a practice squad. He's a popular dude. That was in November of 2021. In May of 2022, he gets waived. Green Bay picks him up that May. Uh, claimed from San Francisco. We then waived him and then put him on the practice squad last uh, offseason and then uh, decided to pick him back up this January. So again, seventh round pick. He's never really done very much. His uh, preseasons have not been glowing his last two. Uh, so his, with the Giants, it was actually a 67, then a 42, then a 37, just doing overall. Look, I, he's 6'4", 307. He's been in the league three years. He's a seventh-round pick. He's never played in the regular season. Considering the amount of body, there, there, there was a point in time, had we not gotten as many guys as we did, where maybe we would need to dig into this a little bit more because it's entirely possible that Chris Slayton could have a role along our defensive line. I think with Wyatt, Slayton, Clark, Brooks, Wooden, and Jonathan Ford, I think all of them are firmly in front of him. And again, I'm not a thousand percent sure Kyle Brooks and Colby Wooden will be designated defensive tackles, but it kind of is looking that way. I just don't think it's relevant that, you know, Slayton is going to have a role on our team. Even, you know, we've got uh, two other undrafted free agents this year, Jason Lawan and Antonio Moultrie. I'm more interested in those guys than I am Chris Slayton, because again, we have data on Chris Slayton. We can, we can live in fantasy land with Jason Lawan and Antonio Moultrie. Never know, man. Crazy stuff. Crazy world, a lot of smells. All right, let's um, let's go with Colby Wooden. He was the uh, earliest defensive tackle drafted. Again, all the rest of the four that we're going to talk about are 2023 guys, two of which we've already talked about. But again, it's good to just kind of get one more quick refresher just to kind of get a baseline of where we're at. So um, we're going to start with whenever we can. I like to use Dane Brugler. Um, Colby Wooden, believe it or not, was actually defensive tackle number 10. Now, to be fair, he did have him as a third or fourth round prospect, which is where he got drafted in the fourth round. Uh, it was just pretty much a weak draft class, but still 10th best defensive tackle in the class. Six foot four, 273 pounds, 22.35 years old. Um, played high school football with guys like Clemson cornerback Andrew Booth, currently a Viking. He was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. Number 38 recruit in Georgia. Actually got an offer from Georgia as a freshman, and ended up getting 26 total offers, including Florida, Michigan, and Oregon. He narrowed down his final choices to Auburn, Georgia, and Clemson, and committed to the Tigers prior to his final season. 
His father played football at Louisiana Tech. Younger brother Caleb defensive is a defensive back at Auburn. He did graduate with his degree in December. Doesn't say what, so I don't know why. Anyways, overall summary. Three-year starter at Auburn. Wooden is the starting defensive end and the former defensive coordinator Jeff Schmetting's four-man front, although most of his snaps came inside the offensive tackle as a four-eye or three technique. His production improved each of his last three seasons, and he is one of only nine Tigers to reach 30 career tackles for a loss over the last 25 years. Wooden is very active off the ball with lower body agility and limb quickness to play in gaps. However, his block destruction... (laughs) I love that phrasing. His block destruction is underdeveloped, and he must do a better job staying on schedule to make a living battling NFL blockers. Wooden isn't consistently disruptive when rushing from the outside, but he can set the edge or reduce down where his rush skills are more effective uh, on the interior, which again is where I think he's going to be. He offers position flexibility as a rotational base end or three technique as an NFL rookie capable of ascending to starter, third or fourth round player. PFF grades were good, not great, high 60s, low 70s every year, except 2021, which like every single person we drafted had a breakout 2021 and then some inexplicable or in some cases explicable uh, decline in 2022. But his best year, 2021, he had an 80.2 overall grade. Uh, 67 run defense grade, 80 pass rush grade, 41 pressures on 352 attempts and seven sacks. His career, 101 pressures on 1,056 uh, pressure attempts, so right at about 10% and 17 sacks. Now, Wooden is the guy that, so we've got uh, two guys. One of them is an edge rusher that's like 300 pounds. It doesn't make any sense. He was one of the best pass rushers in football. Then you got Colby Wooden who's like an interior guy, but he's 273, but he's, he's too small or whatever. But as it turns out, I think by the time he showed up to Green Bay, he was already 285 pounds or something crazy. He was already 278 at his pro day. So he'd have gone up five pounds, and I believe he was in the 280s when he got to Green Bay. So he's bulking up pretty fast. Again, with the assumption that he is going to be an interior guy. As far as my hopes for him, you know, I don't know. I mean, we always have to be patient with rookie defensive tackles. They generally never do a very good job. I don't think he's going to, uh, um, you know, be a top 20 defensive tackle as a rookie necessarily. But I do think he's going to spend a decent amount of time on the field because, again, this is a highly rotational position. And I don't really see a reason why he wouldn't be our number four. Maybe number five, depending on uh, if Carl Brooks kind of gets the nod there. I don't really know. But if you're the number four defensive tackle, you're going to be playing. So we should get a pretty good look at him. Speaking of Carl Brooks, six foot four, three hundred pound edge rusher out of Bowling Green, one of the most productive, elite, freaking destructive pass rushers in all of college football. His grades, his stats, everything in twenty twenty two. Again, Bowling Green, not the the highest level competition, but still phenomenally elite football player. Five years there, his grades seventy, seventy, sixty, and then it was the last year eighty one and then 93. His pass rush grades, his first year was a 67, then it was 81, 81, 84, 92. He had 69 pressures, wait for it, on 386 attempts. That's nearly 18%. That's that's like one in every five attempts. You're getting some form of a pressure, whether it's a sack, a hit, or a hurry. He had 12 sacks on the season. And believe it or not, he actually got, he started off slow on the season and got better as it went on. In his first four games, it was 59, 65, 78, 58. Two 50s, a 60, and a 70. After that, it was 80, 80, 60, 90, 80, 70, 90, 70, 90. 
The guy was an absolute freaking wrecking ball. Three games in that stretch, he had double-digit pressures. Those same three games, he had three sacks apiece. So nine sacks in just three games. Uh, Dane Brugler had him as the number 16 defensive tackle, had him as a fifth-round pick. So once again, uh, pretty solid value, according to Brugler. Again, Brugler had almost all of our picks slightly higher than where they went. So, you know... I haven't heard him say it outright, but just based on where he had people ranked, I'm thinking he really liked the Packers draft. Um, been a longtime football player. Some of these guys are a little bit late bloomers. Carl Brooks was introduced to football at age six, and it was immediately his favorite sport. Played wide receiver and safety as a sophomore in high school. He was 185 pounds as a sophomore, 220 pounds as a junior before moving to linebacker as a senior. So freaking dominated high school football. He was a three-year starter on the basketball team, led the team in rebounds, also an accomplished track athlete all four years, hurdler and relay, set personal bests in the 60, 110, 300, whatever. Ended up being a three-star recruit, number 88 outside linebacker in the 2018 recruiting class, number 31 recruit in Michigan. He got some Division II offers from Northwood, Ferris State, and Davenport. Initially committed to Grand Valley State after a senior year, but Bowling Green entered the picture a few weeks before signing day and extended an offer. It's a little surprising he didn't get anything better than that as a three-star recruit. I know three-star isn't great, but I think he gets something. Anyways, five-year starter at Bowling Green, Brooks is primarily a defensive end and former defensive coordinator Eric Lewis's 3-4 base, lining up as an out, uh, outside as a seven technique, heads up over the tackle, or inside as a three technique. Very few college players can say they led their team in sacks five straight seasons. Again, just a freaking freak. But Brooks is one of them, including a prolific senior campaign as one of only six FBS players to finish with 18-plus tackles for a loss and 10-plus sacks. With his initial quickness and effort, Brooks should be Bowling Green's first defensive draft pick since 2013. His hands are active, but not always efficient, as he sought, uh, as his sawed-off frame makes it difficult for him to control blockers or stay square. Brooks has a unique package of tools, which creates questions about his ideal position fit, but he has the light feet and urgent hands to be a gap disruptor. He projects best as a three technique who can be flexed up and down the line. So I really think, well, th- there's a couple things. Number one, the Green Bay Packers, like every team, but I, I really feel like they're trying to mimic what the Eagles are doing, what, what the Eagles have been doing for a long time, and that is we just want a really dominant front. And not just like three or four dudes like it doesn't matter who we put out there we feel good about it and that's the edge as well as the interior um they really want to bolster that group and i think a lot of what they're trying to do again like everybody so it's not super profound but they want to bolster the pass rush it's from lucas van ness to carl brooks to colby wooden it doesn't matter where they line up we just want freaking studs and and when you look at it colby wooden and carl brooks both of them who knows how it's all going to pan out you have to assume these guys are primarily pass-rushing interior guys. And when you look at Wyatt, although you hope that he can be a really good run defender, you want him to be a really good pass rusher. And then you move Kenny to defensive end and put TJ inside because you want Kenny to be a pass rusher. And then you draft Lucas Van Ness to add another pass rusher. They want, which is what we should have been doing to begin with, rather than focusing on extra pressures, although I don't mind like sending a, a slot after the quarterback once in a while to get in their face or whatever, just send four and win with four and then drop everybody else. You got really good guys dropping, right? You, you invested in your linebackers with Devondre and Quay. You invested in, in, in Jair Alexander. You went out and got Razul Douglas, which has paid off. Keyshawn looks like a stud. You went out and got Stokes, you know, 
for whatever that's worth, hopefully he pans out. We need some help at safety, but you still invested in it, getting a guy like Savage that's just got blazing speed so he can cover a lot of ground. Drop all that talent in space and take the whole field away, and then tell the quarterback, dude, you have got 2.51 seconds to throw that ball before someone smashes your skull in. I think that's the idea, but what do I know? Anyways, let's get to these last two guys that we really haven't talked about at all yet. Brand Spank and new Green Bay Packers, some new toys to play with. And that is Antonio Moultrie and Jason Lewan. I like the name anyways. Lewan. It's got a Hall of Fame ring to it. Um, Antonio Moultrie <laughs> is, uh, let's see. Like I said, he, uh, I forget, Brugler covers, let's see, he did 30 defensive tackles. And then he has a list called Best of the Rest. Antonio Moultrie, he has his defensive tackle 101 out of Miami. Why do we have so many? Don't we have a bunch of guys out of Miami? What is the deal with Miami defensive tackles? Anyways, six foot three, 275. Nothing really to talk about because he didn't go in depth. Obviously, you don't cover 101 defensive tackles. To be fair, I think the grading scale kind of degrades over time anyways. So, you know, 101, 42, what's really the difference? Um, so he actually played four years at UAB. First year, didn't really get too much of a start. Grades were very up and down, but nothing terrible. 67, 76, 66. Then he transfers to Miami, and he has his best year. 83 overall grade. Didn't play a ton, but whatever. 83 run defense grade. 73 pass rush grade. Now, his pressure rate was pretty terrible, but for whatever reason, PFF liked him as a pass rusher. I mean, again, there's a difference between doing a good job and affecting the quarterback. He did end up with one sack on that, but that's about it. Moultrie ran a 5.08 40. So in case you were thinking, well, maybe he's an athletic freak or something, he is not. And at uh, 200 and, well, PFF has him 265, but he weighed in at 275. But at 275, running, uh, you know, 320-pound offensive lineman speeds, that ain't super great. But uh, we'll find a, we'll scour up a scouting report with our friends over at Pro Football Network. This one done by Mr. Tony Pauline. He says, strengths, UAB transfer with an underrated game, plays with terrific pad level, gets leverage on opponents, and moves well laterally, displays good change of direction ability, and effectively uses his hands to protect himself, instinctive, flashes athleticism, and sells out to make a play. Weaknesses, doesn't play to his size and gets easily turned from the action by a single blocker, possesses an average closing burst. Overall, at face value, Moultrie possesses next-level size and speed and has flashes of NFL skill the past two years. He has to get stronger, but Moultrie has enough ability to be a situational lineman on Sundays. I'll take it. And then Jason Lewan, he has ranked as number 109 out of Illinois State, 6'6", 293, ran a 5.07, so almost the same time. Uh, for information on Luan, we'll head over to NFLDraftBuzz.com. As far as his athleticism, that was actually quite impressive. The only things are his weight, 78th percentile, and broad jump, 70th percentile. Some of his worst were his short shuttle, 26th percentile, and three-cone, 28th percentile. But anyways, here's what they had as far as strengths and weaknesses. Strengths. Plays with leverage at the point of attack, whether inside or outside. Keeps his eyes in the backfield when inside. Moves linemen to either side with strong hands. Big body rusher with very good upper body strength. Strong and stout at the point of attack with measurables to occupy multiple blockers. Excellent motor. Technician with a high motor. Thank you. Combines X. I'm just kind of scouring or uh, skimming. Combines excellent power with initial quickness, but one of his best attributes are his violent hands, which he uses with impressive precision. 
He's quick to react and locate the ball, and he shows enough speed to succeed in the backfield pursuit. Lewan plays with excellent balance and a strong, flexible core, rarely ending up on the ground. Weaknesses. Stiff as an athlete, Lewan lacks the flexibility to truly threaten the edge. Don't have to worry about that. Luan has to develop a counter move or two in the pass rush and needs to make better use of his hands, needs to keep his pad level low, pops upright, and plays too tall, struggling to maintain leverage off the snap. How other scouting services rate Jason Luan, his overall rank, 531, position rank 97. So anyways, um, looking at the final 53-man roster, um, last year we had six interior guys, 2020, six interior guys, 2019, six interior guys 2018 was four kind of weird but anyways i i am we'll see how it shakes out right there's some flexibility here um between call it four and six four and seven maybe i don't know defensive guys uh, interior guys but i think six really does make sense we know wyatt slayton and clark are the top three or probably right pretty pretty strong feeling on that We also can have a pretty strong indication that Carl Brooks, Colby Wooden, and Jonathan Ford would be after that. Now, maybe it'll just be Carl Brooks, Colby Wooden, but do you want just rookies as well as a second-year guy in Wyatt and then Slayton, who's Slayton? I would Not that Ford gives you a ton, but in that instance, you would have sort of a backup nose tackle, which we don't really have a nose tackle. Well, you got Kenny, I guess. But you've got a a, a true, you know, 330-pound actual lane blocking type of guy as well as somebody with at least a little bit more experience and just more bodies you can sort of compensate for the lack of experience with more bodies you don't want to strain too much with putting too much on guys that don't know what they're doing so i i just think it makes too much sense i have i have no reason to believe that chris slayton jason lawan or antonio moultrie are going to be on the team i know wyatt slayton and clark are going to be on the team i know carl brooks and colby wooden are going to be on the team so it's just a matter of, would they put Jonathan Ford as the sixth? Would they put him in the practice squad? Would they just not, you know, I, I don't know why they necessarily wouldn't, but, you know, if they need that spot, maybe it would just be five. And if it is five, I think it would be Wooden and Brooks. But I, it seems straightforward to me. You've got your top three. You've got your second three in Brooks, Ford, and Wooden. You've got your next three in Lawan Slayton, and Moultrie. None of those last three are going to get in. All of the first three are going to get in. At least two of the middle guys are going to get in, probably all three. I'd like it to be more exciting, you know? Like, ooh, big competition. Eh. I, I mean, I, I think the competition is really just going to be more about how are Brooks and Wooden looking, you know? I mean, it, it, it could end up being Ford is, is the, the number four, in which case it's like, a oh, crap, you know? Come on, guys, step it up. Or you could end up seeing, you know, Brooks or Wooden over Wyatt or Slayton or something. You know, you, you never know how exactly it's going to shake out, and that'll be the interesting part of it. But as far as who makes the 53 and who doesn't, I think it's pretty straightforward. So, anyways, I got to get out of here. You guys have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Have a good one. Bye-bye.